Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. This isn't, you know, Nestorianism where he just kind of morphs around and changes forms like a transformer. These are two distinct persons. What, what John is helping us see is that the divinity that we see for the Ancient of Days in, in Daniel 7 is also in the person of Christ. Meaning this, this is not some angelic super being. This king of kings is also the God of gods. Fully man, fully human, fully God. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Jesus wasn't just a really good teacher with some supernatural capabilities. He didn't just know a lot about God. He knew God because he was and still is God. He held within himself the power and authority that only belongs to the creator of the universe. Yet he walked humbly among mankind, touching the lives of everyone that he interacted with. In today's message, Pastor Ricky will remind us of the unmatched power of Jesus as we look forward to his triumphant return for his church. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter one, as he begins his message, What to Fear and Fear Not. I wanna invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation. When we come to the book of Revelation, when I say that, there's probably things that go on in your mind. You're probably wondering, or you may be wondering, if you're one of those of the child of the 90s or around, what about the Left Behind books? Are we gonna have locusts, literally, or Apache helicopters? How does the war with Russia play into the book of Revelation? You'll have, everybody has some story of somebody who had a particular view of Revelation that took over a small group meeting that the leader had to steer everything back from, right? They get going, and then, and then this, and then in the 19th century, and then you know what? You know, the iPhone! And you're like, okay, man, I don't know how we got from Revelation to the iPhone, but we need to get back on track here. Often, when we come to the book of Revelation, we think that it's aimed at the wrong place, uh, we often treat the book of Revelation as if it is aimed at our heads only. Like, hey, this is interesting, useful information about something that will happen one day in the future, maybe. Rather, the the beginning of Revelation shows that Revelation is aimed, I think, primarily at our hearts. It's aimed at our hearts, and you get that when you understand the context of these words. We're going we're gonna to see this week that John the Apostle, the one that this revelation has been delivered to, verse 9 introduces him to us, saying that he is your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What we learn from that immediately is the context that Revelation is spoken into is that Revelation is not a book for people who are like, oh, I like interesting things and I like uh, drawing pictures of dragons or I like filling up my wall with all these historical events. No, the, the book of Revelation, this revelation was delivered to a man who had endured severe tribulation, who led a group of churches through severe tribulation. He likely, at the time of this writing, John is, pro- is the only, the last living apostle 
of the 12. Meaning this, that the men he spent years with, he watched one after the other, after the other, after the other, die for the sake of Jesus Christ. At this time, the Roman emperor was an anti-Christian emperor. He demanded to be treated like a deity. He removed the protections that, that over the decades, the protections of, of Christianity kind of under Judaism had been removed and it was exposed and people were aiming persecution at it. And so the context is, is that John, that, that this one who had, who had watched his friends die, who had watched churches come under attack, he now is, for the sake of the gospel, exiled to the island of Patmos. And some historical records suggest that, the, that, that he was, they attempted to boil him alive and failed, meaning that he was right there, about to die, went into the water, somehow Jesus preserved him. They think, we can't kill him, let's just put him on an island. At least he can't do anything over there, right? So this is John. He's an old man at the end of his life. And he's caring about and caring for churches through letters, probably throughout Asia Minor. And this book is aimed at him and the churches that he serves. It's aimed at their hearts. It's aimed at our hearts, through them, to our hearts. It's not just informational. Isn't that interesting about the dragon? No, this is aimed at people under severe persecution. What then? What then would the Lord speak to encourage his church, to encourage his servant. Well, we're gonna see what he speaks first is crucially important. He doesn't start with the mark of the beast or this other thing or the locust. He starts with a vision. This is the vision that begins the book of Revelation. And this is God's holy and authoritative word. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a, like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was, sh was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. And Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, uh, the cool kids of which I was not one 
wore T-shirts that said, no fear. Does anybody remember the no fear T-shirts? Anybody remember those? Like those had a little bit of a rock and roll kind of vibe. It was kind of like an aggressive, like, yeah, we're not afraid of anything. We're not gonna listen to anybody. We're gonna put on some Nirvana and head, you know, headbang and wear my, our no fear T-shirts. Right, but then inevitably what happens? So maybe the edgy, cool people start out wearing the no fear T-shirts and then eventually little homeschool Ricky Alcantad <laughs> wears the no fear T-shirt and it means something very different. And, and when I wore the t-shirt, it meant the trend was over. It, it had a moment, it was done. The environment that, that this vision occurs in is an environment of fear. And one of the purposes, I think the, maybe perhaps the chief purpose of this vision, beginning this letter, this revelation, is the word that Jesus speaks not to fear. He intends for his church to be strengthened, and to put away fear as they behold who he is and his plan for what is to come. Now, you may think, okay, well, if that's Jesus' intent, he does it in a real weird way. Like, is there a way that we could get the encouragement without a sword coming out of your mouth or some kind of strange image here? Why does Jesus use these weird symbols if he... Yeah, I mean, look, you imagine you're there and you're, you're waiting for a word from the Lord and, and you get this vision and it's like some guy with fire eyes and a you know, sword mouth and you're thinking, I'm not seeing the encouragement here. I mean, we're getting beat up, we're getting killed. What, what, how, do I, how is this gonna help me? Well, remember the, the type of literature this is. Um, it actually, at the very end in verse 20, it tells us what type of literature it is. Uh, these are not literal things. It's not as though Jesus, when you see him in heaven, is gonna literally have fire eyes and a sword mouth. These are symbols. This is a prophetic piece of literature and a, a, more specifically, an apocalyptic literature, piece of literature in genre. And in this type of literature, symbols are used not to obscure the meaning, but to make the meaning clear. So often when we think of Revelation, we think, okay, here's the real, no, the real stuff of Revelation is down here, but it's buried under all these images, and we gotta kind of get through all these images to see the real meaning. It's Vladimir Putin. There it is, right there, you know? That's, that's often what people do. They're pushing aside, trying to get to the kernel of, of what's the historical truth here. And in fact, it's the opposite. The images are given to help make the meaning clearer. Imagine this. Imagine somebody comes to the door of the church and, and, I, and Vince goes down and he comes back up and is like, whoa. And I say, hey, wh who was that down there? And he says, oh, well, it was a guy who's about 5'10 um, and uh, he had brown hair. I'm like, okay, right? That doesn't help me. A guy came, he, you know. But if Vince comes and says, oh, man, Okay, I opened this door. This guy's eyes were ice. I could tell, you know, that something was up and he flew in to the foyer like a tornado. Now, does that mean literally there's like some weird X-Man villain in, you know, with ice eyes, you know, in a tornado? No. What is, it, it helps, but it helps us see truly, right? This is what this type of literature does. It uses symbols to help us see. And, and what it helps us see is unique. There's two sections today that'll be uh, relatively brief. The first one is a fearful vision. It begins with a fearful vision. Now, 
The reason it begins in a fearful vision, we will make clear in a moment. But for now, we need to take in the fearfulness, as it were, of this vision. Uh, Often, you could have a, a king who would describe himself with titles, and I'm the royal of all the royals, the king over this land, the king over that land, and it introduces you to who this king is and how great he is. And in a similar way, Revelation introduces us, or rather reintroduces us, to Jesus. But this is Jesus utterly unlike the pleasant Galilean fisherman giving out homespun pearls of wisdom. No, this is Jesus unveiled in all of his glory. What do we see here? First, we see he is the king of kings. It says in verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. What's going on here? Well, there's nuances here. Scholars are like, well, I think this is it. He's a king priest. He's, you know, the royal robe is indicated by this and that. There's some specifics and nuance, but the main image is clear. He's dressed like a king. In verse five, he is called the ruler of the kings of earth. The main point is clear. This is not just any king. This is the king of kings. And then it goes further. Verse 14, this is the God of gods. His, heads, his hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And you might think, what, what, what's the deal with the white hair? Although, side note, this should encourage any brother whose hair has lost its uh, black luster and may find themselves graying, that's the the hair of Jesus, brothers. So take comfort there. He's white hair just like you. No, but what's the deal with the white hair? Well, it's interesting. So the son of man term in Daniel 7, there's two figures in this vision in Daniel 7. The son of man, the anointed, the Messiah, and then the ancient of days, in a sense, who sends the son of man. And so you could kind of read, okay, God the Father, God the Son, with clarity from the New Testament back into that passage. And what's interesting is John uses some of the imagery used to describe God the Father, the Ancient of Days, to describe Jesus. And so this isn't, you know, Nestorianism where he just kind of morphs around and changes forms like a transformer. These are two distinct persons. What John is helping us see is that the divinity that we see for the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 is also in the person of Christ. Meaning this, this is not some angelic super being. This king of kings is also the God of gods. Fully man, fully human, fully God. He is also, verse 14, the watcher of watchers. Verse 14, his eyes were like a flame of fire. What this image is meant to represent is that he sees into and through all things. His insight is piercing. We see this in Revelation 2 and 3 as we'll study in our community groups uh, over the next few months, the letters of the churches in Revelation, and each one begins with Jesus saying, I know, I know your tribulation, I know your works, I know where you dwell. Jesus sees into everything. Now, this is both uh, joyful, meaning that no event in our lives goes uh, unseen by Jesus, even our private hurts and disappointments. It's also a fearful thing. He sees everything. He sees the flaws of these churches. They are exposed before him in his sight. Next, he is the purest of the pure. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Now, sometimes in Revelation, there will be an image and we're like, I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to mean. What's the bronze thing? I I don't, there's no Old Testament reference per se that makes that clear. Well, 
often the description will help us zero in on the quality that's being illustrated. It says it was refined in a furnace. So, so what's at view here is the refinement, the purity of this element. And Jesus, literally in this image, stands on perfect purity. He doesn't stand on an unstable foundation of sin or being pushed and pulled by, by ulterior, you know, bad motives. He stands in perfect purity. It's almost like... I, I don't even want to have historical heroes anymore because what inevitably happens is you, you find this person, you're like, I love them, they're so great, and you start reading more about them, and you're like, whoa, whoa, you know? Not good, you know? Great job, Jonathan Edwards, on Bible teaching in so many ways. Not on treating your wife in slavery, you know? Not good. You, you, you begin to see every, every human leader, even good ones, have feet of clay, right? Feet, feet full of impurities, not so with Jesus, not so with him. Next, the commander of commanders. It says, his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, earlier, his voice is described as a trumpet blast, and now it's water. So the, the literature is making it clear. These are symbols. It's not as though he talked like a trumpet, like, hold on, you know, like, it's not like that happening, and then his next voice was like, you know, John is trying to capture sort of the piercing announcement like a trumpet blast and when he speaks the roar and force. I mean, you've ever stood next to a waterfall? I'm not talking about like a little tiny waterfall. You know, I'm talking about like a waterfall. You feel it in your chest and in your guts, the rumble. That is what is in view. No, but, but why is that so important? Because it says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, he tells us later, the seven stars represent the angels who are guarding the churches. So, so what it's saying is this. this. This Jesus, this king of king and God of gods, when he speaks, he speaks with the authority in his hand of all the armies of heaven, meaning he is the commander of commanders. All of the, the, the angelic beings that John will encounter that he'll keep falling on his face throughout the whole book, Jesus commands them. That's what is in view here. Not only that, he is then the warrior of warriors. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, as a kid, I remember reading Revelation and being like, oh, this is so cool. Jesus looks so cool. And then the sword mouth thing got me. I was like, this is weird. I'm out now. You can't fight with a sword in your mouth. That's the weirdest thing ever. What does that mean? It means this. In the ancient world, the word of a king, the decree of a king, is what made things happen. Right? If you were a powerful king, you could walk by a blank spot in the city and say, I want a monument here. I want to be 30 feet high, and I want to be holding a sword. And then a year later, you come back, and there's a monument of you, right? Or I want there to be a road from this town to this town. You decree it, and it's done. The power of the king is tested in what he can bring about through his word. And war, then, is essentially this king's word against this king's word. This decree versus this decree. This person saying, go out and fight. This person saying, go out and fight. Which word will win over the other? What John is saying is this. Jesus' words are warfare that is unmatched and indefensible by any. Remember in, in Genesis 1, how the world was created, right? What was the refrain? In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and then he kept saying this phrase over and over that's threaded through Genesis 1. 
And he said, let there be light. And he, with his word, calls forth oceans and mountains and stars and and energy and matter, meaning that he, through his word, made the world. And that power is there to unmake it. Meaning there is none that can stand against him. His word, his word of warfare will silence anyone and destroy anyone. And there is none who can stand against him. Southerners will say, say this thing sometimes. My granddad said it. He, <laughs> sorry, this is just the South. All right, somebody's not from the South. They're going to be like, that sounds crazy. You ever heard a Southerner say, boy, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? Meaning I have the power of creation. I have the power of destruction too, okay? So that's what Jesus is saying. He made the world and he can unmake it, right? That is what we'll experience as we see Revelation unfold. I want to skip ahead to Revelation 20 where he comes in riding a horse and destroys his enemies, but we are not there yet. All right. The warrior of warriors and last, the summary attribute, the glorious of the most glorious. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Meaning his face is the essence of who he is. This is kind of a summary attribute. The light is a summary attribute that we keep seeing in Revelation. The the essence of who he is. His face is so glorious, so bright, so shining, it cannot be beheld without going blind. So what is John doing? What is Jesus doing in giving us this picture of himself? Well, one, he wants his people to understand After the the decades, perhaps, since his ascension and to where Revelation is written several decades later, he wants them to see him again. That's what they most need. They need a glimpse of him again, exalted and powerful. There was a a Ugandan dictator, you may be familiar with, Idi Amin, who was one of the most brutal dictators in Africa. And he accumulated for himself a, a pompous collection of titles, such as His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal, Ahaj, Doctor, Idi, Aman, Dada, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea, and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. He also later famously claimed he was the last king of Scotland. I'm not sure how that works, but that's what he claimed. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't the Lord of all the beasts on the earth. He wasn't even president for life because he got exiled and then killed. His titles were empty and meaningless. They're, they're like looking at him through a microscope. Here's who he is, and you gotta, he's got to blow himself up with this microscopic view. What John is doing is the opposite. John is giving us a telescope. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong. Pastor Ricky will continue teaching through this series in the book of Revelation next time on Better News Radio. What an amazing gift this book of the Bible is. It's a very revealing book about the future, and yet there's still things that you won't be able to understand with a finite human mind. But wouldn't it be remarkable to have a full understanding of all of it at a later time? This book is Jesus' way of assuring his people that he'll make all things right. Justice will be done, and the world will be restored. 
because of a savior who comes and fights the bad guys. What a heroic story that weaves its way throughout all of history. Revelation brings things with this current world to a close, and God ushers in a new reality. What hope this can bring you as a Christian and follower of Jesus? Don't live in fear of what's to come of this world. God's in control, and He has a good plan. If you're enjoying studying God's Word but would like some additional resources, we'd like to help you. Go to betternewsradio.com and find some helpful tools to assist you along the way. You can also give us a call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Don't forget to place a marker in your Bible and join us again as Pastor Ricky continues teaching through God's Word in the book of Revelation. Our time with you for today is about up, but we trust that you're learning and growing, appreciating what God is teaching you. Come again to hear Better News Radio.